Please join me in the prayer for God to illumine our hearts and minds. Let us pray. Guide us, O God, by your word and Holy Spirit, that in your light we may see light, in your truth find freedom, and in your will discover peace through Christ our Lord. Amen. Our New Testament reading this morning comes from the Gospel of John, chapter 11, verses 17 through 37. Listen to God's word for us. When Jesus arrived, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Now Bethany was near Jerusalem, some two miles away, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them about their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him while Mary stayed at home. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that God will give you whatever you ask of him. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again <clears throat> in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Those who believe in me, even though they die, will live. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, the one coming into the world. When she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary and told her privately, the teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come to the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. The Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary get up quickly and go out. They followed her because they thought she was going to the tomb to weep there. When Mary came where Jesus was and saw him, she knelt at his feet and said to him, <clears throat> Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who came with her also weeping, he was greatly disturbed in spirit and deeply moved. He said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus began to weep. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Today's Old Testament reading comes from the book of Lamentations, chapter 3, verses 19 through 26. Listen now for God's word to you and to me. The thought of my affliction and my homelessness is wormwood and gall. My soul continually thinks of it and is bowed down within me. But this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, the soul that seeks him. It is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. The word of the Lord. There's no crying in baseball. 
This now famous line comes from the 90s movie, A League of Their Own. Tom Hanks, a frustrated coach, the frustrated coach of the Peaches, an all-woman baseball team formed during the Second World War, the coach, Tom Hanks, confronts one of his players named Evelyn for missing the cutoff from right field. Before she reaches the dugout, he asks her a question. Excuse me, he says, which team do you play for? Well, I'm a peach, Evelyn says with a smile. Good, I was just wondering, because I couldn't figure out why you threw home when we have a two-run lead. You let the tying run get on second, and we lost the lead because of you. It's about time you start using that head of yours. It's that lump about six feet up from the ground. This harsh rebuke given to Evelyn in front of all her teammates and all the people in the stands brings Evelyn to tears. When Tom Hanks sees her crying, he's incredulous. Are you crying? Are you crying? Are you crying? There's no crying. There's no crying in baseball. It's interesting in that moment to consider the backstory of the coach, the one making this claim. Because if anyone has things to cry about on the field that day, it was him. A baseball career that ended too soon because of an addiction to alcohol, an addiction he was still struggling with, an injury that makes him unable to serve his country in war, something that brings him deep sadness and shame, and a job he doesn't want, but a job he has to take because he has no other way to make a living, coaching an all-female baseball team. There is no crying in baseball are the words of a guy who could really use a good, long cry. I find it really interesting that despite the fact that the Hebrew Bible contains a whole book with the name Lamentations, and Jesus himself sheds tears on more than one occasion, few of us in a given day or week are willing or even able to cry. We might cry at a funeral or if we're watching a sappy movie at home, but how often do we publicly grieve all that we've lost? Despite the witness and wisdom of our tradition, we've bought into the myth that too many tears, too much grief is a sign of weakness and not strength. There is no crying in baseball or in life. This message is not new, of course. It's been around since the beginning. Did you notice the minute Jesus starts to weep? In the passage we heard today from John, some of the people gathered begin to doubt his power. Could not he who opened the eyes of a blind man have kept this man from dying, they say. This distorted view of grief's place, grief's power in a life of faith reminds me of Joy's realization in the animated Disney movie, Inside Out. If you haven't seen Inside Out, it's a brilliant piece. Joy, the character Joy, is one of five emotions who live inside a 12-year-old girl named Riley. For much of the movie, Joy struggles unsuccessful, unsuccessfully to keep one of the other characters, Sadness, Joy struggles to keep sadness at bay, thinking that sadness, her presence in Riley's life, 
is making it worse, not better. It's not until Joy watches Riley express a deep grief, a deep sadness to her parents, one she'd been bottling up for a long time, it's not until Joy sees that happen that she realizes how important sadness can be. Expressing the sadness allowed her parents and Riley to connect in a new and profound way, forming a core memory for her life. Sadness leads to joy. Maybe you've read it, most people haven't, but the Book of Lamentations is the Old Testament's affirmation of grief. Lamentations is a collection of five mini-sermons bemoaning the destruction of Jerusalem and the temple in 587 BC. We think the author of Lamentations witnessed firsthand the fall of both the political and cultural identity of the Jewish people. He witnessed the destruction of the temple and the city of God. And so he cries out in lamentation about the pain he feels. He cries out about the sin that caused all the destruction. And he cries out about the desolation brought on by the Babylonians. In Lamentations, read it, the author is all over the place, as one often is while we're grieving. Sometimes he blames God. Other times he acknowledges his own sin, his part in the story. And other times he plays the victim. But through it all, he professes that in all the tears and all the anger and all the grief, there remains a strand of hope. God is faithful, he says. I don't do well in high places or small dark places, but once I went caving with my family. Big mistake. If you've ever been caving and you make your way down to the deepest, darkest parts of the caves, sometimes you'll find a rope attached to a wall in the cave. The rope is there because in the darkness, in the utter and complete darkness, the only way to get through the cave to the other side is to hold on to the rope as a guide. Grief, in many ways, is that rope, that guide for us. It's that strand that connects us to what was lost and to what can be found. Grief is the connective tissue in sorts between our loss, our sadness, and the promise of a new life. Without grief, it is nearly impossible to move on from destruction and desolation to new life and new beginnings. Without lamentation over what is lost, it's difficult to experience the new life God seeks to offer. Now this morning, I want you to consider for a moment the possibility. I want you to consider for a moment the possibility that much of the violence and polarization and anger and anxiety and depression that's taking place out there in the world and in our own lives I want you to consider for a moment if most of that is born from unexpressed grief. We have all lost so much in the past six months. We can't dance together. We can't hang out with a friend at a bar and lean in as they tell us a story. We can't visit family in other locations, at least not without being worried about their long-term health. 
We can't go to a baseball, basketball, or football game and cheer. We can't go to a crowded restaurant and enjoy the good food, but also the energy that comes from a packed house. We can't go to the theater or hear the orchestra play. We can't hug people. We can't laugh out loud with others. We can't sing. And that's not even taking into consideration all the ways COVID-19 has accelerated the loss of things we thought we had a little more time to enjoy. Like the loss of beloved traditions, or the loss of the church we knew and loved, or the loss of the world as we know it, or the loss of a simpler time. Of course, some of us have lost more tangible things. Some have lost family, friends, their job, or their freedom. So much has been lost in the past six months, which means there is so much that needs to be grieved. And if our grief is not expressed, it's my belief, and I think the witness of Scripture, that it will come out sideways. Instead of tears and empathy and compassion, unexpressed grief comes out like violence and anger and depression and anxiety and fear. If that's the case, I have to ask you, when's the last time you had a really good cry? When's the last time you let grief literally wash over you? When's the last time you sat with someone you loved, sat with them in their grief, and cried with them? When's the last time you were deeply moved and troubled in your spirit. I'm asking because I'm convinced that we need to grieve as individuals, as a church, and as a nation if we want to move forward in faith together. Remember, it was lamentations that reconnected God's people to the promise of a God who was with them in all things, even if the house in the city of God lay in ruins. And it was the tears of Jesus at Lazarus' tomb and in the Garden of Gethsemane that connected him, that reconnected him to the promise of a God who brings life out of the shadow of death. Lazarus was raised by a Jesus whose face was marked with tears. And we are no different. Grief is our gateway, our pathway to new life. We don't like to hear that, but grief is a new beginning. The world is changing. It's always changing, but it's changing faster now. Our nation is changing. It's always changing, but it seems to be happening faster now. The church is changing. It's always been changing, of course, but it feels more real now. Much that was loved and cherished and honored is lost. Much that was treasured, it's gone. But, and here's the good news, we can still move forward in hope if we grieve all that was lost and allow God to do what God loves to do more than anything else, bring life out of the shadows of death.
I want you to consider that grief is a gift from God that helps us say goodbye to what was so we're able to receive what will be. In the words of Mary Oliver in her poem, The Uses of Sorrow, someone I loved once gave me a box full of darkness. It took me years to understand that this too was a gift. Grief is a gift. Open it. Mourn all the losses you've endured. Have compassion for the grief of others. And then wait, patiently wait for the mercies of God that never come to an end and are new each and every morning. Amen.